Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26. No, verse 28. Genesis 1, verse 28. It's speaking here about the man and the woman. It says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. When God blessed Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply, do you know what the impact of that blessing has been? They were fruitful and they multiplied. And there are a great deal of humans alive today because of the blessing of Genesis 1 and verse 28. Now look up at verse 22. This is not about Adam and Eve. This is about the fruits and the fruits. You can tell what I'm thinking about. The birds and the fish. Birds and fish together in my mind made fruit. And God blessed them saying, be, that's where the fruit came from. Be what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. Do you see there in verse 22 that God blessed the fish and the birds? And when he blessed them, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And you know what the result of that is? The earth is full of fish and birds. I have traveled widely, and everywhere I go, there are birds. I don't do a lot of diving, but everywhere I've done anything in the water where I can see, where it's warm enough, there's fish. I don't mean warm enough for the fish, I mean warm enough for me. That's what I mean, right? When God blessed the people, they spread across the planet. When God blessed the fish, they spread through the places they could go. And when God blessed the birds, they spread through the air. Turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You know what happened when God blessed Noah and his sons and told them to be fruitful and multiply? They were fruitful and they multiplied. And in fact, all of us are alive today because of Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Be fruitful and multiply. What I'm trying to show you, and I hope you've seen it so far, is that in the first nine chapters of the Bible, when God blesses something, he blesses it big time and in a way that affects world history. When he blessed the fish, that was big time. When he blessed Adam and Eve and Noah, that was big. Turn three chapters further to chapter 12. Chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 2. It's speaking about Abram. And I will make thee of thee a great nation, and I will bless you, 
and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We don't have time to study in this period about this blessing and all the Bible says about it, but the, a lot of the Bible's written about this blessing. A lot of the Bible is about the blessing that came on Abraham. And in fact, we are blessed by Genesis chapter 12 today. You and I, if we live by faith, are the children of faithful Abraham, and we're blessed in this blessing. Let me say that a different way. When God blessed Abraham, Abram he was here in Genesis 12, he gets blessed three times in Genesis. When God blessed Abram, that blessing had quite an impact on world history. Now, it wasn't just Abram that was blessed. In chapter 17, God blesses Sarah. And when he blesses, he changes her name just like he changed the name of Abram. You know, they both had their name changed. And he tells her that she's going to be the mother of a great nation that kings will come from her. The fact is that the New Testament says that young ladies can be the children of Sarah in the same way that men can be the children of Israel. It's the same way. What I'm trying to say is that when God blessed Sarah, that blessing had an impact that affected world history. It's just a few chapters later, no, it's in the same chapter, it's in chapter 17, that God blesses Ishmael. Ishmael, you know, the other son. God blesses Ishmael and says that he is going to become a great nation. And the things that God says to Ishmael, he says that 12 princes will come from him. And those things happened. Ishmael grew and multiplied. And today, the part of the world we call Arabia, that whole general section of the planet is filled with the descendants of Ishmael. When God blessed Ishmael in Genesis 17, that blessing had an impact that has affected world history until this day. There are, in Genesis, two other men who are blessed. Uh, one of them is Ishmael's brother, that's Isaac, and he shares in the blessing of Abraham. And then one of Isaac's, actually there's two other men, Jacob is blessed. Jacob's blessings are interesting. Jacob is blessed just like his father and his grandfather. He's told that he'll be a great nation. But then the Bible mentions that one year that he sowed in his field, and he reaped that same year 100 times as much as he sowed. And the Bible says God blessed him. Then, in a way that is seen through its effects, we know that God blessed Joseph. The Bible doesn't say that God blessed Joseph, but the Bible says that God blessed Pharaoh, or not, it wasn't Pharaoh, it was uh, Potiphar and all his house because of Joseph. And I'm just going to summarize for you every time God blesses something in the first few books of the Bible that when God blesses someone or something, it prospers, it really prospers, it grows, it's significant, it affects world history. And we have talked about already every blessing in Genesis that God gives except one. The one we haven't talked about yet is the one in Genesis 2. 
Turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. The only other blessing in Genesis that God gives. Genesis chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God, what's it say? Blessed the seventh day. Now, I would like to study with you, maybe even at this hour, maybe later, about what it means that God rested and what it means that God sanctified the day. But really, the key thought I want to have in your mind this morning is that God blessed the day. And the Bible doesn't say that when he blessed it, that's how he sanctified it, or when he sanctified it, that's how he blessed it. What I'm telling you is that these are two separate things God did to the Sabbath. God blessed the Sabbath day, and that's significant, and God sanctified the Sabbath day, and that's significant. God rested on the Sabbath day, and that's significant. I know they're significant because Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 are every thought in them is significant. It's like the only history we have from like 600 years of Earth's history is just in those three chapters, and it was the beginning thing. So God blessed the Sabbath. As a canvassing leader, it's happened to me sometimes. I know a lot of you are canvassers and are, will be leaders or are leaders. It's this happened to me many days that I've led a team of missionaries going door to door, and I have spotted an area in the town that I thought was the ideal place to canvass because the homes are close together, they're middle class, there's children's stuff outside, and I can tell this is a new area. And I've decided to save that area until like 7 o'clock at night when they're going to be home, because the people that live in those kind of areas, they work too much. And so you want to be sure that you get to their house when they're going to be there. Can you follow me so far? Yes. Well, this is what has happened to me several times. I get there... And the area is so good that it takes much longer to do it than I anticipated. And the result is that when it's time to quit, it's only one-third done. But the whole town is finished. There's not any good reason to come back to that town. There just isn't enough to keep us busy for even an hour. So what happened is I put off the blessing for too long. And because I put it off for too long, I didn't even get it. Isn't that sad? Do you, are you a leader yet, Ramon? That's going to happen to you at some point. When it does, remember that. All right. But why I mentioned it is because there's something I want to read to you, and the thought occurred to me, if I wait to the end to read it to you, I'll use it my whole time and you won't get to hear it. So I'm going to read it to you now. All heaven was represented to me as upon the Sabbath, beholding and watching those who acknowledged the claims of the fourth commandment and were observing the Sabbath. When people recognize that they're on television, sometimes they kind of wave and say hi to everyone out there. Well, I don't want to encourage you to do it now because it might make you feel silly. But you could verily on the Sabbath look up into heaven and wave. Because what is heaven doing right now? They're watching. And who are they watching? 
particularly those who claim to honor the fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Angels were marking their interest in and their high sense of the divine institution of God's appointment. So angels know that God blessed the Sabbath day and that he sanctified it. And when God does something, they consider it significant. So they're looking to see those who claim to honor the Sabbath, do they consider it in an exalted way? Do they realize the high nature of that divine institution? Reading on, those who sanctified the Lord God in their hearts by a strict devotional frame of mind and sought to improve the sacred hours. Now that's an old English that some of you might not understand. Today when we say improve something, we typically mean make it better. But a hundred years ago, to improve time really meant to use it wisely. That's what it meant. And so let me read that sentence over again. Those who sanctified the Lord God in their hearts by a strict devotional frame of mind and sought to improve the sacred hours in helping to the best of their ability others to serve and honor God and to call the Sabbath a delight were placing blessings upon the faithful ones. That was a long sentence for 2013, so I'm going to say it to you in simple English. If you are trying to use the Sabbath hours wisely, and your idea is that you're going to help others to find the blessing of the Sabbath, and so you're trying to the best of your ability to help them find the blessing of the Sabbath, it, it creates a word picture almost like you have blessings, and you're putting blessings on them. You're, how are you putting blessings on people? by using your Sabbath hours to teach them how to find the blessing that's there. Listen carefully. Special light and help and special strength were given them. While on the other hand, angels were turning from those that failed to appreciate the sacredness of God's sanctified day. They were removing their light and strength. I saw them, that is, the unfaithful ones, overshadowed with a cloud, desponding, frequently sad. They felt a lack of the Spirit of God. I was looking to see if a single person was taking notes, so I'd know if it was worthwhile to give the reference, but I don't see. Someone is? So that's the fifth volume of the manuscript release releases, page 303. The fifth volume of the manuscript releases, page 303. Let me tell you what it said. Angels are watching us on Sabbath, but they, this is not a, an angelic spectator sport. That is, the angels aren't just sitting watching. They have blessings to give. They're able to impart strength, special blessings of strength and encouragement. They're able and they're ready to do it. But they don't do it to everybody. Um, a few times in my life of ministry, I've been involved in mass mailings. Even here in Arkadelphia, we've done some of those. I mean, mass might be an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? More than 50 pieces of mail. We were mailing, and when you do a mailing like that, you end up getting some letters back. 
with a stamp on them that says something like, undeliverable as addressed, or unable to deliver. That's what I'm titling our talk, which is already 40% over. Unable to deliver. God's angels have blessings for us today. They had blessings for us last week. They had blessings for us two weeks ago. They're going to have blessings for us next Sabbath. They have special blessings to give. I say special because God can bless us any day, but he only blessed one day. And when he blesses something, it's significant. And the other blessings in Genesis look like they've affected earth history big time. And I think this one has too. Angels want to bless us, but there's a class that they don't succeed in blessing. That's the class who don't recognize by the way they live on Sabbath the high holy claims of that day. The angels even remove from them their strength and courage. And that class frequently are desponding and sad. They feel a lack of the Spirit of God. That feeling of the lack of the Spirit of God, that's not just a false feeling. It's because they have a lack of the Spirit of God. Now, that, of course, is from Ellen White. And suppose that you don't have any confidence in Ellen White. I'm perfectly fine with you taking your time to figure that one out. But I think I have some Bible information for you that you ought to consider. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. There are eight blessings in Genesis. We've gone over every single one of them. And when you've gone through those and then you come to Exodus, the very next blessing in Exodus is in chapter 20. So that's the ninth blessing. When I say the ninth blessing, I mean the the ninth blessing that God gives in the history of our planet. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your servant of either type, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and he rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It's a question for me Why does the Bible connect the blessing and the hallowing of the Sabbath? But I think if you think it through, you'll see it quite plainly, the reason they're connected. It's because when God hallows the Sabbath, his work isn't finished. That is, oh, the Bible illustrates this in an interesting way in the Minor Prophets. If I have a holy garment and it touches a dead body, what happens to that holy garment? You know, it's unclean. 
the, the fact that it's holy doesn't make it invincible to defilement. Is, there, is the word vincible a word? Vulnerable, maybe, is the word I'm looking for. Holy things are vulnerable. And if a holy thing is going to remain holy, it has to be kept holy. That is, you have to treat it as if it's holy. So God has made the Sabbath holy, but it's up to us to keep it holy. That's what the commandment says we just read. And if we keep it holy, then there is a, a blessing for those who do that thing. I think you understand the idea. So now I'll speak to you about my own experience the last two weeks, because it's relevant to your experience. I have a friend online. I don't think I've even met her. But she said something interesting. She said that potluck is a minefield. Potluck. She's talking about fellowship dinner. This is what she meant. She meant that if you want to practice what the Bible says about the Holy Sabbath and only talk about things that have a spiritual theme, if you want to maintain a strict devotional frame of mind, it's easy to do that by yourself in your room. But when you come to fellowship meal, conversation, you got four or five people around you, and to keep that conversation on religious themes, spiritual themes, about blessed ideas, it's just not easy. Can anyone relate to my friend? Can anyone relate to, to that? So for myself, two weeks ago, what got this going is I decided that as long as I let the Sabbath just sort of happen, I wasn't going to be very successful in keeping it holy. That is, I, was gonna, I needed to plan out my day and fill it with good things so there wouldn't be any room for the other things. Can anyone understand what I'm trying to talk about? So I made a plan. I made a plan for all the meals that happen to follow fall and Sabbath hours. This time of year, that's usually four meals because your evening meal on both Friday and Saturday is kind of at that time. I made a plan for each of those meals, what I would talk about, what I would, how I would interact with the persons. And so last Sabbath, I had in my plan, talk about the Sabbath school and the church. You know, what, what was said in Sabbath school, what would happen in church. That was my plan. That wasn't as easy as you think. I was sitting at a table with some nice people. And um, my wife was one, but she was quiet. So I was sitting at a table with some nice people. And I would talk to this one about the sermon, and that conversation would be extremely short, like not much talk back, you know, like a monologue is what I mean, and so I talk, and I, I addressed everyone at my table, I'll say this, it never got a rip-roaring discussion on the sermon going, not even once, but it did prevent the corruption from coming. Does that make any sense to you what I'm saying? It was, a, it was, so I'm calling it a success, a bungling success. But I would rather have a bungling success than a silver-tongued failure. And um, turn your Bibles to Isaiah 
chapter 58. Isaiah 58, we had our special music from this passage. And your special music included those precious promises that I've spoken about in Arkadelphia a few times. That God will guide us continually, that our health will spring forth speedily, that when we pray, God will hear us. When we're desperate, he'll be right there with us. You know, those blessings are in Isaiah 58. But the last blessing of Isaiah 58 is at the end of the chapter. So, verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, that reminds me of Daniel 7. That's where you have a beast that puts its foot all over the Sabbath. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. If you're taking English, you should recognize that verse 13 is not a complete sentence. It's one great, big, doubtful clause. It starts with if, and the if applies to the entire verse. So, even in computer programming, if you have an if statement, somewhere after that you're going to find a then. If there's an if, there's going to be a then. Well, it's true here too. The if is in verse 13. Where's the then? That's verse 14, right? Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Now, what we read in the testimony is that there are people who are frequently despairing and sad, and they sense a lack of the Spirit. What we read here in Isaiah is here's a condition of having a delightful spiritual experience. Well, what's the condition of having the delightful spiritual experience? It's proper Sabbath keeping. Do you see that plainly in verse 13 and 14? Well, just put your thinking caps on. If a delightful spiritual experience comes from proper Sabbath keeping, then what do you suppose would come from a lack of proper Sabbath keeping? Who knows, but it certainly wouldn't be a delightful spiritual experience. Just recently I read in the Pentateuch about this next idea, riding upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. But I don't remember what I read about it, so I'm not going to speak about it. Isaiah chapter 58 outlines a blessing. I don't want to say a blessing, because I think it's probably the same blessing that was given in Genesis 2 and the same blessing that was mentioned in Exodus 20. But what I like about it is where Genesis and Exodus tell us to keep the Sabbath holy so we can have the blessing, Isaiah 58 explains how to keep it holy so that I can have the blessing. And what I'd like you to understand is how you can keep it holy so you can keep the blessing. I was really happy to hear during Sabbath school that we have activities this afternoon planned by Sabbath keepers. That makes me think that we're going to have planned activities that would match the fourth commandment. I like the idea of planned activities on Sabbath because my experience 
is that when I don't make a plan, well, the devil has an agenda. And if I don't have an agenda, then someone's agenda ends up taking over. I guess I've said that three or four times, and I think you understand what I'm trying to say. The Pruitts now have four pets. I don't even believe in having four pets. And if any of you want a dog, let me know. But um, I, who often gave my wife a slight ribbing because she had a dog and, and I, more sensibly, had no pets, now I have three pets and my wife has one. And, uh, but like I said, I'm trying to downsize on pets. And if any of you need any, just let me know. I ended up with my fourth pet this week because long, long ago, even before Jasmine was born, how old are you? Before you were born, a little kitten was found in a gutter in Oklahoma. That kitten was named Kitty, but in Russian. And the Russian word for Kitty was Tishka. So the cat's name was Tishka. Tishka was picked up and cared for by the students at the predecessor to Washita Hills College in the year 2000. And they took care of Tishka, and Tishka became the school cat. Well, when those students and the whole program moved to Oklahoma in 2003, Tishka became my cat and came to Oklahoma. Did I say moved to Oklahoma? I meant to Arkansas. Tishka came to Arkansas and became my cat, and I was content to let my mom take Tishka, and then my grandma got Tishka, and then Tishka began to sleep in my grandma's bed. My grandma was too polite. If Tishka was in her bed, she would sleep on the couch. And so the family decided that Tishka couldn't stay with my grandma any longer. So Tishka was sent back to stay with my mother. And I won't say what happened there, but my mother decided that Tishka should no longer stay with my mother. So now Tishka lives with me. He's an outside cat for the first time since the last time he lived with me. And uh, Tishka has a bowl where I put his food right under the eave, because it's been raining half the time he's been in Arkansas. Uh, he has a, a bull under the eave, and then, you know, Heidi has a dog, which is named Benny. And Benny's an inside dog for the most part. So it happened this week that Heidi and I were watching how Tishka and Benny would get along. Because Tishka is older than Benny and heavier than Benny. But Benny's a dog and Tishka's a cat. So this was going to be interesting for us to watch. And this week, just, it might have been yesterday for all I remember, the door was opened and Tishka was at his food container and Benny was in his house, but they were this far from each other. And what happened is Tishka perceived that Benny might be after his food. And Benny perceived that Tishka might be after his house. And the two became vicious. But they didn't touch each other. 
They're both scared. <laughs> it was just the hiss, scratch, bark thing, you know, but the, the not actual touch, scratch. And then I closed the door and it was all over. I mentioned that to you partly as to help some of you wake up, honestly, it was part of why I told you all that. But um, we were watching Tishka and Benny because we're interested in how they're going to get along. That was interesting to us. But we started out this talk by mentioning that someone's watching us. Are they watching us? They want to see what we're going to do. We were watching how Tishka and Benny were going to react when that door was open. Well, they're watching what we're going to be doing this afternoon. They're watching. They have an interest. And they are authorized to give blessings if we're ready to receive them. If we're not ready, those blessings return. They are unable to be delivered. We don't want our blessings to be like that. Turn your Bibles to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. This is the last verse for this sharing time. Joel chapter 2 is the classic passage that introduces the early in the latter rain. During Sabbath school, I had an epiphany. And Sabbath school is a great place to have epiphanies. Do you all know what an epiphany is? An epiphany is like when you get a great revelation of an idea. And let me just share with you that revelation and hope that it will be useful to you in the future for a long time. You're in Joel 2. Don't lose it. God organized things when you're far enough from the equator so that in the fall season, about the time of harvest, when it gets cooler... Rains come, and the leaves turn yellow, and the wind blows, and the leaves come down. And we call that period the fall. And it starts today, right? The 21st of September. When the wind blows and the yellow leaves fall, in the fall, that reminds me very much of the Holy Spirit being poured out in Acts 2. Remember, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then there appeared tongues of fire, and they probably weren't blue, right? So, I mean, they might have been, but I'm imagining yellow because there's no blue leaves. So I'm just trying to picture that God organized things in the fall, so when we see the wind blow and the yellow things coming down, it would remind us that we live in the time of the latter rain. We live in the time when God wants to send a special blessing. You're in Joel 2, right? Verse 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, and assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that are nursing. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, Weep between the porch and the altar. If you start in verse 17, you could get the idea that this special prayer time is just the the priest praying. But you start in verse 16, you see something quite different. 
Who's involved in this special process? You know? Anyone who can do anything in the church, they're all involved. Everyone is being involved. The children, too, as much as possible. Everyone's involved in this seeking for a blessing, this special idea of living a holy life. It says sanctify the congregation. You see that in verse 16? Sanctify. That means teach them how to be holy. How do I know that means to teach them to be holy? Because the first time this happens in the Bible is in Exodus 19 when God says sanctify the congregation and that's to teach them how to relate to Mount Sinai so they don't get killed if they get too close to it. They're being taught how to relate to a holy place or a holy situation. In Joel 2, teaching the congregation how to live in a holy way is the preparatory work for powerful prayer and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Or let me say that a different way. God has blessed the Sabbath day and he's hallowed it. When I hallow it individually, he can give me a blessing individually. But when we hallow it as a body, he can give us a blessing as a body. And he wants to give us a blessing as a body that he can't give us individually. You and I can't receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit individually. I can be filled with the Spirit in the morning time in my devotional experience. You can too. But God has a special experience for the church. That experience is being filled with His Spirit, but it begins with this process of sanctifying the congregation. And that's what I hope this weekend is going to do for us. It will get us all involved in the process of sanctifying ourselves, being ready as a church. And we can begin that process by sanctifying the Sabbath by maintaining a devotional frame of mind and to the best of our ability, helping others to do the same. Then we have not just a holy Sabbath, but a blessed one. Amen. Let's kneel for a closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for how predictable the holy Sabbath is, that it need not take us ever by surprise. Be patient with us as we're learning how to keep a day holy. Be our teacher. Give us that light and blessing and special strength that you've spoken of. Teach us how to delight ourselves in our spiritual life. And I ask for these gifts in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.